Nordic Food Lab Radio. Convenience food? It's summertime in the 1950s, high up in the mountains of northern Sweden, and a Sami family is moving from valley to hillside with their reindeer herd as they follow the animals that are their livelihood. The canvas lavu tent houses the family for whom the mother is in charge of cooking every day with no access to ready-made foods from the grocery store. Yet, almost all of the foods that the family eats are processed. Smoked, salted, dried, ground, powdered, fermented, and any combination thereof. Processing the food is time-consuming and laborious, but it comes in spurts and saves her hours preparing new meals every day. It is also a necessity to handle the bounties that come all at once. Reindeer meat with the slaughter in the autumn and winter, cloudberries in the late summer, and bark with the felling of trees for wood. The people of the sun and wind, the Sami, are often called, and this is apt when you consider their reliance on these two elements for the most basic form of traditional food processing, dehydration. father was working yeah. with a reindeer and uh, another kind of work in the forest, take the wood and uh, take the grass for the foods and uh, also go to the special water, take up the uh, kind of grass for a reindeer. You, he had that work, so it was only my mother who makes the food. Mm-hmm. The only thing what my father done, he prepared the reindeer meat, what we are going to eat in the summer. He salted and hang it up and smoked. Mm, mm. And the same with the fish. This is Lila, the traditional Sami foods teacher I lived with this summer for a few months in the Sami village of Saltalukta to learn about her traditional foods. When I asked her what food was like as a girl, I was intrigued by the stories of her mother's breads, which she made with dehydrated ground flowers made of almost everything in the forests around them. When we bake uh, bread, we got the... Uh, every day new bread because we baked over the fire and dried it and we put a lot of plants is a herbs or what do you call it and it tastes so nice and mm-hmm. we also make the sweet cake over the open fire because we have a specially pan and so we mix the different things in the dough and so we also put over the cake mushroom it could be berries it could be flowers and so and we like that Mm. and we didn't understand it was the same cake but different things (laughs) we put it on and inside so then when we be a little bit elder and wanted to make food self we wanted a receipt and we gave three papers (laughs) three papers but where are all the receipts of another bread and so we tell us how it was and it was that I use when I baked today and uh-huh. things. Mm. The recipes that Lila's mother wrote down for her were more like formula for using the diversity of the forest. Some of the best breads, Lila remembers, were made from tree bark flowers, especially from the pine and birch trees. And she used also the flower from the aspen and uh-huh. from the 
uh, Sorrel and uh, from the yes you know all the trees who have the leaves mm -hmm. and so if we also use uh, twigs from the spruce we dried and twigs from the pine tree and lot of leaves and so when they have dried we smash it and we could mix it so it will be many different tastes so that we used in the dew. Lila's mother even dried and ground up the seaweeds that were traded or bought from friends and family who lived closer to the ocean which played a similar role to xanthan gum or other dough binders in modern gluten-free foods. And But you know the plants and algae what we also got from Norway they don't have gluten so you must have uh, some white flour or you could have roux or something else oh, okay. and mix it a little bit. But in the old days, and even many times, we have mixed the algae and the mushroom. The algae, though. Yes, yeah. and mix it together. And so we could use the bark flower and seeds and everything because the algae and the mushroom will hold the dough together so we could bake the bread. Every culture has its bread, and it struck me that the diversity and flavors of the forest that are the power of Lila's knowledge were captured in these breads of her childhood. When I was a girl, they laughed to me when I said what I eat and they come and taste. But today I am very rich because I have all of those knowledge. I could live here up. I don't need go to the store to buy things mm. because I could find mostly of the things I needed. Perhaps the most unique and most gastronomically distinct are the flowers made from the various parts of the tree we call bark. I learned from Lila how to harvest the pine bark one afternoon as she led me and a group of friends around the rain-dampened mountainside near her and camp. Do you know why they have cut it here? 1912, they started to build a tourist station here, and they need wood, so that we... Pines were rarely, if ever, felled by the Sami, she told us. In 1912, they started to build. 100 years, yeah? 100 years, yes. And it's still like that? Yes. Mm. Oh. So that's uh, people ask, why have you, what have you used all of these trees for? I said, we have not used it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't need six, so six trees. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. only when they are building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So they transported with the reindeer up there. Ah. So instead, bark was carefully harvested from trees by removing what is known as a window of outer bark from the living tree, no more than one-third of the way around, so as not to impede growth. And here you could see the windows, they had done it, mm. and uh, take it away, the outside bark and the inside bark. But the tree will not die, but I could see they have cut it and used something of the tree. These windows in the tree bark used to be a signal to traveling Sami that there were fellows living nearby. Near Lila's home in Saltalukta, there are many tree windows in various states of regrowth, evidence of the ancient history of the place for these herders. The one I want to leave you on, we go here higher, more to the east than mm -hmm. take. 
She showed us how to harvest the flaky outer bark of the pine with a knife, as well as the soft white layer below, which was eaten directly as a forest snack, and which is really great. The taste and texture are evocative of fresh coconut meat. Then on to the bark processing. First you pound the flaky bark into small pieces, then grind that into flour using, Lila emphasized, a 1500 watt blender. Anything less and you might run into trouble. This uh, danger if you don't, if you only have 500, 300, it will be so hot so it mm. burns. Burns, yeah, yeah okay. So you need like a Vitamix or something or a... Yeah, yes, it, that's why I have 1500. Yeah, okay. mm. The flour that results is rusty colored and soft with a texture almost like cornstarch. If you're at all a fan of forests, the smell is incredible. That's my friend Vendela, the day we made dozens of these breads. To me, it's seductively foresty, Christmassy, earthy, and resiny. I couldn't help but start crunching into one immediately. Gitu to Lila and her family for their wisdom and knowledge. Thanks also to Pine Trees for being so delicious. Music for this episode by the Swedish band Nordic with the song Döden and sounds from freesound.org. This episode of Nordic Food Lab Radio was produced by me, Anna Sigurther. <laughs>